It was about uh, probably five or six years ago, maybe, that a farmer went and planted a sapling in the ground. And he planted that sapling in the ground and uh, put all the soil and nutrients in the ground that that sapling would need and watered it so it could begin to grow. And over the coming days and months and years, he watched over that sapling as it began to grow and mature. He would watch over it in the summer and the hot months and make sure that it got all the water it needed. He'd watch over uh, the health of the little tree to make sure that the diseases would be kept at bay and anything that would try and attack the tree. Watch over the insects to make sure that the insects wouldn't come and destroy the tree either. And then he'd prune the tree and he'd take care of the tree. And then after about five or six years, probably about uh, 45 to 60 days ago, he came along and took a chainsaw and chopped down the tree that was tended to and loved so much. And he threw it on an 18-wheeler and shipped it to Massachusetts. And in Massachusetts, he brought it, that 18-wheeler, to an ice cream shop on Main Street in Tewksbury. And then a couple weeks ago, I left work and had my kids with me in my car, and it was a dark and cold night, and we stopped by that ice cream shop, and we picked out that tree that was so lovingly cared for by the farmer, and we paid someone inside and paid a high school kid another few bucks to tie it to the roof. And then he tied it to the roof and we drove off and I drove home praying that he had been through Royal Rangers or Boy Scouts and (laughs) that this tree was tied securely to my roof and it wasn't going to fly off. Made it home with the tree on my roof and got home, cut the tree off, got out the stand from the basement and put the tree in the stand, put some water in the stand right in the middle of the living room and stuck this dead tree right there in the middle of our living room. My wife wasn't upset. In fact, she was actually pleased that I came home with this tree and stuck it in the middle of our house. In the coming days, our kids and our family would decorate it with uh, lights and various glittering trinkets that we had collected through the years. And we had our Christmas tree, and it looks exactly like this in the middle of our house. And while it looks pretty, and I think it looks pretty, and you may as well, you have to admit this whole process is a bit strange. I mean, you have to admit this whole idea of someone growing a tree in order to cut it down so someone else can put it in the middle of their living room for a few weeks and then toss it out. It's a bit of a strange tradition, right? Many of us are familiar with it. Many of us are comfortable with it. Many of us look forward to it. But you can't say it's not a little strange that if you had come from outside of this culture and this community or outside of a Christian tradition uh, that, that celebrated Christmas in this way, you might say, what on earth are you doing? And do I have to do it too? It's a bit strange. There's other strange celebrations, I think, that come at this time of year that um, 
that are a part of our Christmas celebration. We take lights and we put them outside our house and run up our electric bill um, by putting lights on trees and some put them in the shape of animals and others put <laughs> blow up things on their lawn and we do lots of strange things this time of year. We, for some reason, choose to send cards to people we haven't spoken to in decades, <laughs> but feel the necessity to send them a card with a picture and so they know we're still alive. We buy gifts for people we otherwise would never buy gifts for because they might buy one for us, and so we purchase gifts for them. And we have various ways of celebrating that seem a bit strange when you think about it. If how we celebrate Christmas is strange, if you're coming from outside of a Christian tradition or outside of uh, a culture that celebrates Christmas, you might not only think how we celebrate is strange, you might think what we're celebrating is strange. I mean, think about it. A baby that was born uh, over 2,000 years ago a baby not born in prominence in any way, but born in a stable to a teenage mother and her new husband without even the money to uh, wherewithal to have a nice place or the opportunity to stay even in an inn and laying the baby in an animal feeding trough, an obscure child born to an obscure couple, in an obscure time, in an obscure place, not some major city. It's a stretch to even probably call it a town, more like the village of Bethlehem. Born in a stable, born to a teenage mom. And so, if you're not familiar with it, you might say not just how you're celebrating, but what you're celebrating seems a bit strange. And even if you have grown up in a, a Christian tradition and you know the whole story, I'd say that we'd probably all have to admit that the Christmas story and what we remember this time of year is kind of a strange plan. It's a strange plan that God came up with. And we're so familiar with it, we may not think of it that way, but if you can, just for a moment, suspend all that you know about it and think about it for the first time, the problem that God is faced with and the strange plan of a solution that he came up with. I use strange not in any negative sense, but strange in the sense of it's something most people, most anyone would not think about doing. Usually, big problems require big solutions. I mean, a small problem, say changing a light bulb, a person can do on their own, but a major problem, say lighting a city, requires a major solution. God had a major problem on his hands. He had created humanity, men and women, and they had rejected him. And this might really not be a problem except for the fact that God still loved humanity. He still loved men and women, and he still believed that given the chance that there were men and women who would love him and want to spend eternity with him, 
given the opportunity, but the problem was there was a barrier between God and man, and that was sin. And so God had a big problem, and usually big problems require big solutions. God didn't come up with a solution that involved a superhero or a whole bunch of angels going all over the world. His solution was a baby. His solution was him himself, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, coming down, taking on human flesh, and living among us. You have to admit it's a strange plan. It's probably one that none of us would have thought would have been the solution to the problem that God had. It's a strange plan. And yet this strange plan, celebrated in strange ways maybe, is a foundational and significant aspect to the Christian faith. And there are many people today that might think because it's so strange, they even try and remove it from the celebrations this time of year. Now, there are some that, that don't know Christ, that aren't Christians, and so they, they, they don't want anything to do with the Christian story. They perhaps don't want manger scenes on the town commons, and they don't want uh, any type of religious association with Christmas, and so... Uh, they look at it as a time for family and friends, maybe some time off work, some time to celebrate together, but nothing more than that because the story is so strange, perhaps. There are even Christians that have a problem with the way that Christmas is often celebrated. Christians would say, look, I don't, Christmas isn't in the Bible. You're not going to find a Bible verse that mentions the word Christmas Christmas wasn't celebrated by the early church. Um, In fact, there was no holiday that we know of where the early church celebrated the birth of Jesus. And they would say that, you know, even the date itself was really hijacked from other pagan religions that celebrated the winter solstice in December. And Jesus probably wasn't even born in December Certainly not on December 25th, probably more likely in the spring. So why all the celebration? Why should we get involved in it? It's strange. And yet for the people who might not know Christ and want to take and separate religion from Christmas and from the people who do know it and say, why would we take such a time to celebrate and make such a big deal over this that the early church and early Christians didn't necessarily celebrate the way we do? Why would we do it? I would argue this morning that the incarnation of Jesus Christ is a significant truth in our Christian faith that ought to be celebrated, that we cannot ignore that in fact not only is pivotal to your life as a Christian, but is pivotal to your daily walk with God. That the truth of Jesus coming and the incarnation, meaning he took on flesh, is critical to yours and my daily walk as a Christian. 
We might say and we might recognize that the early church didn't celebrate any particular holiday around the birth of Jesus, but we cannot ignore that the scriptures time and time and time again talk about the importance of Jesus coming in the flesh. Let me just give you a few of those this morning. These are prophecies of Jesus coming. These are written, written hundreds of years before Jesus would come to earth. The prophet Isaiah some of them you're familiar with, typical Christmas scriptures. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Isaiah 11 says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Jesse was the father of David, and it means that Jesus would come through the line of Jesse and David, which he did. Micah, hundreds of years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, says, you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from one for, for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Prophecies hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came, but the importance that he would come and that he would be born. Now, New Testament scriptures that recognize the importance of Jesus coming in the flesh, perhaps one of the more famous ones, John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Continuing on, 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul writes, beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. All scriptures that point to this truth. Jesus came in the flesh, in the body, and this is important. Another scripture, John chapter 4. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges what truth? That Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. The early church knew that this is pivotal. This cannot be forgotten. This cannot be let go. This is no small part of our trust and our faith in God that Jesus came in the flesh. Another one, Romans chapter 1, Paul writes regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God. By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Recognizing again the importance of the incarnation. Galatians chapter 4, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. And finally, uh, Romans chapter 8 one we might be very familiar with, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. How did that happen? For what the law was powerless to do and it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. This truth of Jesus coming in the body, in the flesh, is one that is pivotal, foundational, and cannot be let go of for the Christian that follows Jesus. This morning's uh, scripture I want to just focus in on for the next few minutes is Hebrews chapter 2. 
took this out of the New Living Translation this morning. I like uh, a little bit of the translation that the New Living Translation gives for us this morning. And it says this, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. You can't kill God. God can't die. But when God becomes a human being and subjects himself to the flesh and the body, only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. We also know that the son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people since he himself has gone through suffering and testing. He is able to help us when we are being tested. The necessity of the incarnation, the necessity of Jesus coming in the flesh, the reason that we make such a big deal out of it at least once a year. The reason we probably should make a big deal out of it more than once a year. The necessity of Jesus coming in the flesh. Why is it so significant? Why do the gospel writers and the writers of scripture make such a big deal out of it? Because every other religion is about man trying to work his way to God. It's about humanity trying to work their way to God, trying to be good enough, trying to get God to notice them. But this is the difference of the Christian faith and the God that we serve, that Christianity is about God who came down to man. God who came down and lived in the flesh. God who came down to get man to notice him. Instead of trying to work our way and get noticed by God, God said, I'm going to come down to get us to take notice of him. And it is the necessity of the incarnation. I think there's three just quick points in this verse, uh, these verses here that I just want to bring out this morning about the importance of the incarnation. And the first is this. The incarnation means, Jesus coming in the flesh means that God offers us compassion in our pain. Because Jesus came in the flesh, God offers us compassion and understanding in the midst of our pain. It says in this verse that he could be, because of this, he could be our merciful high priest. Let me just explain for a second. You may be familiar with it. You may not be the high priest. The high priest in the... um, In the religion of Israel that God had set up, the high priest was the one who stood between humanity and God. He represented the people of God before God, and he represented God to the people. He would be the one who would speak to the people on behalf of God. The reason he could be merciful when he did that, the high priest, is because he was human too. 
And so when he spoke on behalf of God, he spoke of one who understood what it was to lose a loved one. He spoke as one who understood what it was to be human. He spoke as one who understood what it was to hunger, to thirst, to be tempted, to be tested. He spoke of one who knew what it was to experience the hurt and pain in the world that we live in. And so it was a comfort to have a high priest who was also human, who have a high priest who understood and didn't just speak the word of God coldly or speak the word of God in a vacuum, but spoke the word of God as someone who also must live under it and experience the things that they experience. And so the scripture says it was necessary for Jesus to come in the flesh. Why? One of the reasons is so he could be a merciful high priest. This is such a great comfort for us who are people of God. When you go and pray, when you come into God's presence, what this scripture is telling you, that you are coming to a God who understands your situation, that you are coming to a God who understands your pain, that you are coming to a God who understands. How does he understand? Because he came to understand. How does he understand? Because he subjected himself to the creation There's a great mystery to that, but that's what he did. Divinity walking in the dirt, the way coming through the womb. He subjected himself to this world so that he might understand what we walk through. Illustrated, I read a story about a man named Witold Pilecki. I don't know if you've heard of Witold Pilecki. I hadn't before I read this story. But Witold Pilecki lived in the early 20th century and in September of 1940. Pilecki, who was a captain in the Polish army, did the unthinkable. He was a captain as well as a devout Christian, and he had a suspicion that there were things going on in Auschwitz that no one was aware of, that it wasn't just a military installation, that it wasn't just some kind of prison camp, that there was something else going on there. So Pilecki did the thing that he thought was the only way he could find out what was going on there. Pilecki went into Auschwitz on his own. His, with his superior's approval, he, they provided a false identity card with a Jewish name. And then he was in Warsaw on one of the routine roundups of the Jews that were in Warsaw. And he got into that routine roundup. And with this false Jewish identity, he went into Auschwitz when he didn't have to. He became number 4859. He later said, I bade farewell to everything I had known on this earth. He was a husband and the father of two He became just like any other prisoner, despised, beaten, and threatened with death. From inside the camp, he wrote, the game I was now playing at Auschwitz was dangerous. In fact, I had gone far beyond what people in the real world would consider dangerous. But beginning in 1941, prisoner number 4859 started working on his dangerous mission. He organized the inmates into resistance units, boosting morale and documenting the war crimes. Pilecki used couriers to smuggle out detailed reports on the atrocities. By 1942, he had also helped organize a secret radio station using scrap parts. 
The information he supplied from inside the camp provided Western allies with key intelligence information about Auschwitz. In the spring of 1943, Pilecki joined the camp bakery where he was able to overpower a guard and escape. Once free, he finished his report estimating that around two million souls had been killed at Auschwitz. When the reports reached London, officials thought he was exaggerating, but of course today we know that he was right. The only way that Pilecki believed that he could get an account of what it was really going on in Auschwitz was to do the unthinkable and to go in himself, to put his own life at risk. What that must have meant to those people at Auschwitz, that the account of what they were going through was getting out, it's similar to what God had done and what we remember at this time of year. Didn't have to go, wasn't forced to go, choosing to leave his freedom and his glory to come and walk among us. And one of the reasons was so that when we go and you go to pray to him, he understands your pain. He understands the hurt that you feel. He knows what it's like to be betrayed by a friend. He knows what it's like to experience the death that the curse brings when his friend Lazarus dies. He knows what it's like to be hungry and thirsty. He knows what it's like to be tempted by the devil himself and overcome. So one of the great gifts of the incarnation is going to a God who understands when you pray, to to going to a God in prayer to say, God, I know you understand my pain. Going to a God who has compassion and understanding. This is unique to our Christian faith, and it's pivotal, and it must never be forgotten. It's compassion and understanding. The second thing, the second gift, I believe, we have in this passage from the incarnation is this. It's the help through trials and the help through tests. The end of this verse says this. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. He's gone through it. He overcame it. And so when you go to him and you say, God, I don't think I can make it through this, he said, I made it through and I'll give you the strength to make it through too. I overcame temptation when I became a man and you can overcome this temptation too. The incarnation means that he can help you through any test and any trial and any temptation. When you're going through a difficulty, don't you want someone who understands and can help? Oftentimes when we go through a difficulty, we think no one understands. And even if they understand, they probably can't help. You're going through a trial. You think, I'm the only one that's going through this. In fact, we use this word in this language all the time. You just don't understand. You don't understand my pain. You don't understand my hurt. But oh, the comfort when someone comes along and says, I went through that. And I understand that. I've lost a loved one. I've gone through the cancer treatments. I've hurt like you hurt. I understand where you are. 
And the better when that person can come along and say, let me help you walk through your pain and your difficulty. That's what the scripture says that Jesus is able to do. Because of his trials and temptations and testing, he is there to help you through your trials and temptations and testing. You know, there are times Wendy and I have seen this in our life at times. Things you go through and you think, well, how is any good going to come out of this? But then someone else comes along who goes through the same thing and you say, let us help you walk through it. Wendy lost her father when she was younger, not even a teenager. And many times she's been able to come along other women and other girls and say, I understand what it is to lose a parent when you're young. And let me help you walk through that. Let's walk through that together. And the times that, um, and I've shared this before here, the, the challenges of sometimes trying to have kids. And Wendy and I, when we were first trying to have kids and the struggles we had, and it's just not happening, and the questions and the trials and the difficulties of trying and wanting something so bad, and it's just not occurring but then being able to walk beside a couple and say, you know, that pain that you feel month after month after month, it's a real pain, and let us help you walk through it with you. Let us walk with you because, and Jesus is doing the same thing. That, that, that pain that you feel, I know what you're feeling. And let me help you come beside you and walk with you through it. And so what we have in the gift of the incarnation is not only a God who understands and has compassion, but a God who is able to help. Because we all want someone with compassion, but all the better to have someone with compassion and can help us in the midst of our trouble and our difficulty. And this verse says that's what Jesus is. That's what Jesus is. But it says one more thing, and this is the final point that I want to close on this morning is this. The incarnation and the gift of the incarnation also, and perhaps most significantly, provides the grace to cover your sin and forgiveness for our sins. It says he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. It was only through the incarnation and Jesus coming in the flesh that he could be the sacrifice that we needed to cover our sins. The high priest, see, the high priest had another job. He represented God to the people, but he represented the people before God. But because the high priest was a human who was a sinner, before he went into the presence of God, he had to offer a sacrifice for his own sins. And then he could go in and offer the sacrifices on behalf of the sins of the people. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. The ultimate faithful high priest who never sinned did not have to offer a sacrifice for his own sin so he could lay down his life as a sacrifice for us and a covering for our sin. And the gift of the incarnation is the grace of forgiveness for our sins. The reconciliation between a God who longed to be in relationship with us from the very beginning and humanity who had rejected him in a way that had been made through Jesus Christ.
And so the incarnation ought to be celebrated and it ought to be remembered. And if we do it in December, fine. If you want to do it in April, fine. I don't really care, but we should do it. We should remember it. We should not forget it because it is a foundation, pivotal aspect of our faith. So celebrate this strange plan in our strange ways. Put your lights out because Jesus is the light of the world if you want. Decorate your evergreen and be reminded of the eternal life that God offers. Send cards to keep the sparks of relationship alive with people and wish them the peace and joy that is found in Jesus. Buy gifts and be generous because God has given his greatest gift to us and we remember that at Christmas time every year. Celebrate the incarnation. Celebrate that God understands your pain. Celebrate that God is there to help you in the midst of your trials and tests. And most importantly, celebrate that in the coming of Jesus Christ and in his life and in his death is the grace to cover your sins. And that's why the incarnation is important to us. And that's why we celebrate. And that's why we must never forget it. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And just before I pray for us, I just want to speak just for a moment with your eyes closed and your heads bowed. Mostly because I just want you to take a few moments just with you and God. Take a few moments. There's no busyness here. There's no hurry. There's no sales. There's no cash register. There's no pressure. There's no parties. There's no food to be cooked. There's nothing but you and God. And would you just take a moment in this space, in this sacred space, with you and God and examine your heart and your relationship with him. I just want to ask you, what part of the gift of the incarnation do you need right now this year? What part of that gift? Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you say, I need the gift of knowing that God understands my pain. I need the gift of knowing that God is a merciful high priest because he understands and has compassion on me in the midst of my difficulty. I pray that you would know that and you would embrace that truth this morning that God knows right where you're at and Jesus is a merciful high priest and he'll walk with you. Maybe this morning you need to come and embrace the truth that God will help you through your difficulty. Perhaps you came in here and you are carrying a burden or you are carrying something in your life. It's a test or a temptation that you are walking through or it's a difficulty or a diagnosis that you received this week or a hurtful phone call or email that you received from someone this week and you need to know that God will help you through your test and your trial that he's there for you, that because he was tested, 
that he can help you through your tests and he can walk with you through it and maybe that's what you need. I pray that you will know his presence and his help with you this morning. But if you're here this morning and you came in here and you don't know Jesus and you're just in here trying to figure it out and trying to find out, you know, I would submit to you that there is no better time than this Christmas season where we remember God's greatest gift that you would come and embrace the gift of the grace of God, of the forgiveness of your sins. That you would in this moment and in this space come to the place where you would open that gift. Because the truth is, like the unused gift cards in your drawer at home, we often leave gifts unused, unwrapped, They're there, they're given, but we have never partaken of them. God offers you the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. But it's up to you to open your heart and open your life to him. There's no magic to it. It's a matter of you and your heart talking to him, asking him, asking him to come into your life giving over your life to him so he's Lord of your life, accepting that forgiveness of your sins through Jesus Christ and committing to walk in his way. You could say that in your own words, in your own place right there. And let God know that you want that gift. You want that gift of grace. You want that restoration of your relationship with him. You want to walk with him. You want to be his son, his daughter, his child. So this morning, I encourage you in your seat right where you are, if that's what you desire to do, that you would pray those words, that you would invite God into your heart and invite him to be Lord of your life this year. Invite him to come into your space and in your heart and in your life. And I'm going to give you a moment to pray that prayer. And if you do, I'd love to know about it. Our staff would love to know about it. We'd love to walk with you and help you as you journey with God for the first time. We'd love to get some resources into your hand that will help you walk with the Lord as well. And if you'd let us know, either me or one of the pastors or even at the Connection Center, on your way out, let us know. We'd love to help you on your journey. But in this space... Take some moments in your own words. Tell the Lord what you need from that gift of incarnation this year. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Worship you, God. Father, we thank you And we worship you for the gift of Jesus Christ, your son, to us. Thank you for coming up with a plan that no one else would even attempt. Thank you for coming and walking and living among us. Lord, help us to embrace that mystery of the incarnation this year 
we won't ever understand it. And the moment we fully think we do, we certainly haven't. And yet there are so many gifts that you offer to us. Thank you that you are the God who hears and understands us. Thank you that you are the God who helps us through our difficulty. Thank you that you are the God who came down to us and did for us what we could not do, paid for our sins, and offer us your grace. We love you, Lord, and we worship you this day, this Christmas, and may it be every day that we would recognize that gift to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and we'll close out our service worshiping this God together.